Welcome back to Full Court Press. I'm your host, Liam Griffin. Jackson, we've been off the air for two weeks, but we are back, and we have a lot to cover. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. It's been an exciting uh, few weeks of uh, playoff basketball and hockey, and I'm looking forward to uh, discussing it with you. All right, let's get into it. Back on the show today is the man I'm living with next year. Going to have a lot of fun. Mr. Jackson Holzer. On today's episode, the Bucks get their revenge, Trey Young shows off, and the Maple Leafs pull off perhaps their worst choke yet. We begin today with some news in the college hoops world. The 2021-22 season will be Mike Krzyzewski's last. Coach K announced his intentions to retire on Wednesday. The Duke legend currently has five championships and 12 Final Four trips, and will look to add to his stacked resume in his final year. Jackson, how will you remember Coach K? Well, um, this goes kind of without being said, but... He's a Hall of Famer. Um, I know we use this term a lot with players, uh, like generational. Um, I guess Coach K is also kind of generational in a coach manner. Um, His finest accomplishment probably was um, way back in the day before we were born, but uh, 1991 when he beat undefeated UNLV in the Final Four. That was a big one. Um, He went on to win the title that year, so I believe that was actually his first one. And uh, overall, I'm hope he, I hope he um, has a good last season. He enjoys retirement after, and I'm glad that um, Syracuse no longer has to face him after this year. Yeah, I have a feeling that last matchup between Beheim and Coach K at the Dome is going to be something special. So I am going to make sure to be at that game. I can't speak for you. but Has the schedule come out yet? Do we know when No, it hasn't be? come out yet. Who knows? You may, be, you may be still be producing OPP. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think uh, football, see, if it overlaps, I mean, then I will be able to go to basketball because we don't do two sports in one. Okay, fair enough. But, I mean, is he, is it a low benchmark to call him the greatest coach of all time? I mean, he's right up there with greatest Ro- college Roy coach Williams, sure. Dean Smith, uh, Beheim even. College. I mean, Bayheim, no. You can't put Bayheim in that discussion. Bob Knight. Bob Knight. uh, I'm blanking on someone. Maybe even Bob Huggins, but I think he transcends them all. In my opinion, he's the best coach to ever coach the game of basketball. I mean, what he's done at Duke, I mean, other than their basketball team, unless I'm mistaken, they're not a big athletic school. I mean, their football team stinks. They're, They're one of the best academic schools in the country. So give credit where credit's due. He's done his job, and he's done his job really well. So, yeah, it's going to be different without him in our junior year. Yeah, but I don't think Duke will all of a sudden just fall off. I think they're already established as a blue blood, uh, blue blood program. So, I think Duke is still going to be around, and they're going to be just fine. But uh, I hope Coach K enjoys retirement. I know he – didn't he retire from, like, the USA national team, like, a few years ago? I have no idea. All right. Well, I thought he did. So, it's – he is also he, has – Is he coaching this summer? Is he coaching this summer? I don't think he is. I think it's uh, Popovich. But uh, I think I read a stat. He's like 88-1 with the United States national team. Oh, my gosh. It's like stupid. Well, after the fiasco that was the world championships back in 2019, we could use some of that. Well, yeah, that was kind of our C team playing. It wasn't our big guys. We didn't have, like, LeBron or KD. LeBron's not – did you see – well, I know we'll get into this later, but did you see that LeBron quote today? Or from the other day about focusing on the Toon Squad rather than Team USA? Yeah, that was really funny. Yeah, and we'll get into LeBron later. 
I was laughing really hard about that. <laughs> yeah, well, LeBron did let me down, though. Hey, you were going all over Twitter saying Lakers in five, Lakers in six. Yes, I know, I know, I know, I know. We'll move on now. We certainly have our eyes on him this season. Now we get into some of the more unworldly news of late. In the past two weeks, several NBA stars have been involved in fan incidents. John Moran's family recently received racist taunts in Utah. Uh, Russell Westbrook had popcorn thrown at him in Philly. And Trey Young was spit on in New York City. And Kyrie Irving had a water bottle thrown at him in Boston. Yes, a lot of ands, but also a lot of incidents. Wow, Liam. How have you reacted to all this? Well, my first reaction to this was... How did the NBA let this happen? I mean, I understand that it's been over a year since they've had packed arenas like this, but, I mean, has security lost their touch all of a sudden? I mean, the fact that this has happened in four separate arenas in the NBA is very disconcerting. It really is. And, I mean, we've never really... There have always been those crazy fans that run onto the court or field or something like that, but it's, I, don't think it's ever, I don't think it's ever been this bad. I really, really don't. So, that being said, I think the NBA needs to fix this. They got to tighten securities in their arenas, make player safety a top priority, which, granted, they did a great job with pandemic and all. They did a great job with player safety. However, when now that you're letting fans back into the arenas, your, your arena security has got to be on top of it. And I think the NBA I, needs to do something about this. I 100% agree with you. I think for now, I just think fans just feel entitled. I don't think it really has to relate to, oh, they're finally back, so they're going to act not nat- They're not going to act right. Um, I think the fans just feel entitled, like they can do whatever they want. As far as, um, which obviously they can't do whatever they want. They're, it's against the law. You're there. They're human beings. But um, as far as the NBA tightening security, like you mentioned, I don't know exactly what they're supposed to do. Because, I mean, you go to a game and you buy popcorn or you buy a water bottle. It, like, who who is stopping you from throwing it? Like, you're going to throw it and then something will happen. I just don't understand exactly what you're supposed to do. Maybe you move the fans back, but that's kind of the allure of the NBA where you can sit so up close to the action. I mean, hockey, you can kind of do the same thing, but you have a big glass thing in front of you, so you can't. Get, like you can't go near the players really football there's a whole sideline i don't know exactly how they're supposed to tighten the arena security and one other thing i'll mention is that you touched on hockey we've never seen incidents like this in hockey in large part because of the plexiglass but i mean hats get thrown onto the ice every time a team scores three goals but other than that not really or, or or my florida panthers rats they throw rats do they now yeah, 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 they throw rats. Plastic rats. <laughs> I mean, like, it's it's disconcerting. I I agree. It's disconcerting, but to your point, I mean, I'm not sure what the NBA can do, but they got to do something. They can't leave this issue unignored. But now we get into one of those specific incidents, which had a ton of drama leading up to it. One of the biggest headlines of the playoffs was Kyrie Irving's return to Boston. And he gave quite the quote before Game 3. When talking about his return to TD Garden, Irving said, quote, Hopefully we can keep it strictly basketball. There's no belligerence or racism going on. Subtle racism. I'm not the only one who can attest to this. The whole world knows it. Unquote. After the water bottle incident, Kyrie had more remarks, saying, quote, 
it's unfortunate that sports has come to a lot of this kind of crossroad where you're seeing a lot of old ways come up. It's been that way in history in terms of entertainment and performers and sports for a long period of time. It's just underlying racism and treating people like they're in a human zoo, throwing stuff at people, saying things. There's a certain point where it gets to be too much, unquote. Jackson, sensitive topic. What are your thoughts on it all? Well, there's a lot to unpack here. So I'm going to put everything kind of in some context. Kyrie Irving is a former Boston Celtic. He knew he was going to get booed, which is perfectly in fans' right. You, you go to stadiums and you're allowed to cheer for your team. You're allowed to boo the other team. You can say that the players suck or whatever. And obviously he's right. Like, you can't, you know, throw stuff or spit on players or let alone be racist or do anything like that. That's just wrong. These are, at the end of the day, human beings. They're just athletes. They're entertaining you. Um, having said all of that, well, first of all, this incident didn't occur in game three because the Celtics won. This was more of, like, frustration after the Nets won game four. And so having said that, like, Yes, Kyrie is right about, like, racism and all that. But I don't know if this incident was really anything to do with racism. I think it was just a fan, honestly, just really frustrated with everything going on. And he decided to be a knucklehead and throw a water bottle, and he's going to be dealt with accordingly. I know he's being dealt with the law right now. He's not going to be allowed back in TD Garden, maybe any NBA game for that matter anymore. But... To say it was racism, I have a hard time going there just because of the context of, like, we know what – it's not what Kyrie Irving did was wrong. We just know, like, he was a Celtic. He didn't accomplish much, and then he goes to Brooklyn. They're going to be mad at him. But that doesn't give the fan the right to throw something at him. What yeah, and one other thing I want to touch on is we don't know what Kyrie Irving's personal experiences were in Boston. Maybe there was a racist incident that hasn't really been in the limelight. We, we just don't know. But to it see, this may or may not be a completely wrong way of thinking, but it seems to me like Kyrie Irving was attempting to pin the entire Celtics fan base as racist. And that's very insulting to me. I mean, so, I, mean I, have, I have plenty of black friends back in Houston who I would who I would do anything to protect. So to have that label essentially attached to my fan base is is very disturbing. And it's just it's it's obviously tough tough to talk about, but I mean, yeah, you're talking I mean, Kyrie Irving, this man went in front of a TD Garden crowd before the 2018-19 season and said, if you guys will have me back I plan on re-signing here. As the season went on, it seemed like he was just giving up and didn't want to be here. And it was to the point where I wanted him gone. So, I mean, if he had given that effort, I mean, who knows? I mean, and back in 17 when that trade was made, Kyrie Irving had in mind being the focal point of a team. What does he do two years later? Team up with Kevin Durant, the second best player in the National Basketball Association, how is that being a focal point? I'm sorry, I'm just curious. And now James Harden is on that team. It's just third option. Yeah. 
That was the third option. So that being said, it's just really a whole lot to unwrap. And the fact that, I know this isn't part of the topic, but the fact that he stepped on our logo after the game and he still thinks that getting us booing him is entirely racial, which I can't speak for all Celtics fans, but if I was at one of those games, there's no way in HE double hockey sticks that I would be booing him because of the color of his skin. It would, I would be booing him because of things like stomping on the court. So to wrap this all up, we, we really don't know what Kyrie went through in Boston, but at the same time, it's unfair to pin the racist label on the entire fan base. And as for that fan who threw the water bottle at him, good. He should be banned from NBA arenas for life. He should spend some time in jail. He should have to pay a fine. All of that jazz. It's unacceptable, and this needs to stop now. I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I understand you're a little bit, you know, I don't know the exact right word, but to pin an entire fan base like they're booing him because of the color of his skin, I think that's kind of ridiculous. I don't think that's really what it is. But you're, you're right. We don't know the whole context. It's entirely possible he went out to a restaurant and someone said something that they probably shouldn't have said to him. And it might have related to the color of his skin. It's entirely possible. So we don't know everything. The fan has to be dealt with accordingly. And from all the reports I've been hearing, he has been and he will continue to be. Um, and hopefully fans will just get their act together because I like having fans in the stands again and I would like that to continue to happen. Yeah, it's been, it's been great having fans back. I mean, this is the energy we've been missing for the better part of a year, right? So it's, it's really nice as people continue to get vaccinated across the country, more and more stadiums will end up being at full capacity. Like Fenway and the Garden are at full capacity. I'll be going to Fenway this coming Thursday and New York City going to full capacity by July 1st, one of the one of the first epicenters of the pandemic. So getting fans back in arenas has been amazing. It's been great. But at the same time, they have to keep their act together. And yeah, this wasn't an easy topic to talk about. But podcasting with Anchor is a very easy topic to talk about. Now, let's have some fun. In a rematch of last year's Eastern Conference second round, the Bucks swept the Heat in the first round of the playoffs. Jimmy Butler was a shadow of himself in the bubble, and Giannis had his way with the Heat. Jackson, it looked like a completely different team despite the similar roster. So, this has been a topic around the NBA this year. Does this prove that the Heat were benefactors of the bubble? Were they benefactors of the bubble? No. No, no, they were not. They just simply outplayed all but one team in the bubble. I don't want to hear about bubble frauds or all that garbage. Every team in the bubble played under the exact same rules and it's not the heat's fault that the pacers are not a good team the bucks were overrated last year and the celtics were the celtics you know just never good enough blow sorry sorry but this year their pro the heat's problem what was two problems one milwaukee got better they got drew holiday they were healthier this time around Giannis was clearly the best player on the floor and the second problem was they basically eliminated themselves months ago because the Heat decided that, or the Heat thought, and all their fans, not including me, I am a Heat fan, but I did not think this, that um, James Harden would not be good for the Miami Heat, that they shouldn't do everything in their power to go out and get James Harden. He was sitting there. 
the guy that we needed. If we get James Harden, I can't guarantee you a championship, but A, he doesn't go to Brooklyn, so Brooklyn's not as good as they are right now. And B, you could win a title when your two best players are James Harden and Jimmy Butler, and you somehow manage to keep Bam. And Heat fans, along with the Heat front office, decided that, you know what, I think I'd rather have Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson and a few draft picks that aren't going to mean anything. So they eliminated themselves long ago. The bubble wasn't really, it wasn't that they were benefactors of the bubble to answer your question. It was more like they caught lightning in a bottle and they thought that it could happen again. And obviously that's not what happened because they came back down to earth as expected. I mean, like, I will say this though. I think it's funny that Jason Tatum, like, indirectly called Tyler Hero a bubble fraud to his face without mentioning his name. Do you remember that interview? That's not to I say did. that that's not to yeah. say that the Miami Heat were bubble frauds, but at the same time, Duncan Robinson's level of play was down from last year. Tyler Hero's level of play was down from last year. And I don't think what's not being talked about enough is that the Heat let go of Jay Crowder, which has turned out to be a massive loss for them. I mean, look at what he's doing in Phoenix. We'll, t- we'll talk about the Suns and Lakers later, but I don't think, he's... I don't, I don't, with all due respect, I don't think Jake Crowder makes much of a difference in this series. Oh, come on. I mean, he made a heck of a difference in the Phoenix Lakers series. I'm just going to throw that out there. He made a heck of a difference in the Celtics Heat series. I mean, Jake Crowder still had a chip on his shoulder because we traded Crowder in that Kyrie Irving, Isaiah Thomas trade, which ended up being a bust for both teams. So... That being said, I mean, everyone lost. I don't think it's fair to pin the Heat as bubble frauds. I mean, still a very good basketball team. Still one of the best cultures in the National Basketball Association. However, Milwaukee was just Milwaukee just got that much better this year. I mean, would playing in front of packed houses in last year's playoffs had an impact? Yes, but I can't say that Milwaukee would have beaten Miami in that circumstance. I don't think they would have. I, I picked Milwaukee last year, but the Heat were a better team. They caught lightning in a bottle. And it's just this year they tried to double down on the young core, which they shouldn't have done. They should have cashed in on their assets. And now what's really which frustrating is also, what, yeah. so, this is something the Celtics have never done, cash in on young assets like Rozier, for example. That's what I was trying to say. The Celt- Learn from the Celtics' mistakes. The Celtics made the constant mistake of trying to cash in not cashing in on their young assets. They tried to develop them. I'm like, no, you got to go for this. You have a chance. And they didn't go for it. And I'm like, James Harden is sitting right there. And what's really frustrating me now is Heat fans are like, let's go out and get Bradley Beal or Damian Lillard. And I'm like, with all due respect to those players, they're great players, and I would love the Heat to have them. And we'll talk more about Damian Lillard later on. We're going to have to give up similar packages to what we would have had to for James Harden. And James Harden is better than those players. So why? what are we doing here? Like, he was the guy. And I don't know what you do. It's just unfortunate, man. Because they seem to have it, and then they just made the same mistake the Celtics seem to make. Join the club. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Never close enough. Anyways, we're going to now talk about your team struggles, Liam. The Celtics came into the playoffs without Jalen Brown, without, or with Kemba Walker and Robin Williams playing hurt. It didn't help. They were facing the Brooklyn Big Three, and the Celtics managed to pick up a Game 3 win at home, 
But after that, Kemba and Williams were out for good. And that was that. The, the Nets dispatched the Celtics in five games. But Liam, don't be too biased. Would it have been any different if they were fully healthy? No, I think games four and five would have been more competitive. Would we, would we have won the series? No. I mean, you take a look at what the Boston Celtics did this year. I mean, I understand they didn't have a ton of games with a fully healthy core. However, at the same time, it was one game they'll blow out one of the top teams in the NBA. The next they'll, you know, lose to the Pistons. That that was the Boston Celtics this year, whether they were fully healthy or not. It was it was a struggle, and I'm I'm happy the season's over. I think we need to regroup, reset with all this front office changing next year. As long we better not hire Jason Kidd as head coach. If we hire Jason Kidd, I might just have to drive up to Boston and jump off the Zaycom. So that being said. I think there's Coach still hope. Coach K, Coach K? What? Coach K coming to town? No, I doubt it. Also, I think I think that I still think that we can win a title with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as the centerpieces. However, I'd like to see an upgrade in bench scoring, and I'd like to see either Kimball Walker stay healthy or a trade for I don't know Damian Lillard, which I understand is not <laughs> going to be difficult to pull off without including one of the Jays. But that being said. I mean, you got to at least try. And You definitely touched on it. Hopefully this will motivate your team's management to finally do what they should have done long ago, which is trade someone for a superstar. It will be very difficult. You're not going to have to give up Tatum for Lillard. That's just not going to be realistic. But in terms of Jalen Brown, maybe. But if you have to give up Jalen Brown at this point for Damian Lillard, I don't really see the point. I don't really think you really get that much better. I think you have to find a way to keep both of them. And as far as would it have been a significant impact if Kemba Walker and Robert Williams are fully healthy? And Jalen Brown. Even Jalen Brown. No, they would have lost this series. Brooklyn is clearly the better team. It, it really didn't matter. So I have a hard time believing that Robert Williams would have made a significant impact in this series if he was fully healthy. I'm sorry, but Robert Williams, give me a break. Kemba Walker is like a shell of what he once was. Jalen Brown, yeah, that kind of stung, but what, he would, have been elim- he would have been eliminated in, what, six games instead of five? Like, I don't really think it makes much of a difference. Hopefully, they cash in. Will they? I don't know. I doubt it. But... Well, they don't have Danny Ainge running the show anymore. No, they don't. Because Danny Ainge's philosophy was relying on the ping pong balls instead of going out and getting guys like, I don't know, Anthony Davis or Kawhi Leonard, who were just sitting there. James Harden. Well, one of Brooklyn's biggest competitors going into the playoffs was the Philadelphia 76ers. However, their first-round win over the Wizards wasn't all fun and games. Joel Embiid missed their series country in Game 5 win with a torn meniscus, and his status is very much up in the air for their upcoming series with the Hawks. Their Game 5 win was impressive, but the Hawks are another animal when you compare them with the Wizards. Jackson, do you see Philly being able to win this series without Embiid? Well, you say this series, so without Embiid, yeah, they can win this series without Embiid. I don't think the Hawks are such a great team, honestly. Um, I would probably, we'll get into the picks later, but if Embiid is not healthy, I would still go with the 76ers to win this series. But if the 76ers don't have Embiid past the Hawks, I mean, we might as well just say that the Eastern Conference Finals is getting played between the Bucks and the Nets because the Sixers would just have no chance against either of those teams. And 
that's even with Tobias Harris playing out of his mind right now or Ben Simmons playing like Ben Simmons, honestly. So can they beat the Hawks? They can. They, they, they can. I, Atlanta, congratulations. You beat the Knicks. I don't think the Knicks are that good. The Knicks just played really hard in the regular season, and that's why they won a bunch of games. But past this series, I think that's really what's important here. If they don't have Embiid healthy, it's going to be another lost year for the 76ers. What are your thoughts? I disagree entirely. I don't think that, as my grandmother's son is ringing, I don't think that the Hawks can... I don't, or excuse me, I don't think that the Sixers can beat the Hawks without Joe Embiid. I simply don't. I mean, because look at the man Trey Young, the way he's been playing. Well, we'll talk more about him later. He's been lights out. And how would the 76ers have matched that? You got the Hawks' big star. You got to use your big star, your your MVP candidate, Joel Embiid. And I mean, yeah, Dwight Howard's been good for them this year, but he's not Joel Embiid. I mean... If, he matches, if Dwight Howard goes up against Clint Capella, then I'll take I like the Hawks in that matchup all day long. So that like being said, if Embiid is not fully healthy, I think the Hawks should have no problem with them. I really don't. We can we can go back and forth on it all we want. I think it would still be a competitive series. Oh, it would still be competitive, but it, I think the Hawks get I think the Hawks get either game one or game two in Philly. The Sixers would definitely benefit from having the home court advantage. Um I honestly think that series would go seven. But if they don't have Embiid, then what else is – it doesn't really matter because, I mean, we can kind of agree here that the Hawks are not going to have any chance against the Bucks or the Nets, which it'll, I think it will be the Nets. But the Hawks aren't going to have a chance. And then the Sixers, they could have a chance, but if they're not healthy, then we can basically uh, forget it. Well, anyways, without – uh, and B, the 76ers will have a tough time with the Hawks and Trey Young. And speaking of Trey Young, he was talking a lot of trash during the series with the Knicks, but he backed it up. Ice Trey averaged 29.2 points per game and 9.8 assists per game as Atlanta made Spike Lee leave the game early in game five. Wow, I can't believe you would actually do that. Uh, however, people are taking exception to Trey's trash talk. Liam, do you have a problem with it? Not if he's backing it up. Not if he's backing it up. I mean, you're talking about one of the youngest stars in the National Basketball Association looking to make a name for himself. And I think he did exactly that. I mean, 29-10 and 10 over a playoff series, that's next level. He's a bona fide star in this league, and he's backing it up. So I don't have a problem with it. If you're going to be out there talking trash and not be able to back it up, then we have a problem. Like, I'll use this as an example. Before Game 3 of the 2018 ALCS, Alex Bergman put a video on, I think it was Twitter, of the Astros hitting back-to-back-to-back home runs off of Nathan Evaldi, who was our Game 3 starter. Evaldi went six innings, gave up only two earned runs. The Red Sox win the game. And they gentlemen sweep the Astros, by the way. And then in 2019, Bregman carries his bat down to first base in Game 6 of the World Series in Houston, which, in my opinion, cost them the series. And we and because we just learned they've been cheating, we don't know how legit Bregman's stats are. So, he hasn't been able to back it up. Trey Young has, therefore, I don't have a problem with it. We are in complete agreement. I have no problem with this trash talk, and it's simple logic. If the fans are allowed to trash talk the players, you know, we talked about fans earlier, but there are clearly inbounds and out-of-bounds. Inbounds, you are allowed to boo players and say they stink. If the fans are allowed to do it, well, so are the players. 
Why not? Why can't the players do it? It's kind of fun to me. Um, the, he knew the majority of the country wanted to see the Knicks win, minus Hawks fans and myself, because I just don't like the Knicks. Oh, neither do I. Neither do I. You also didn't want to see the Knicks win. I can't, I can't deal with just stupid false hope from Knicks fans. But um, that's why I didn't want to see them win. And Trey Young basically just shut everyone up. He, 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 we see the stats, 29 and 10. He basically took over the series. He outplayed the Knicks star by a wide margin. Julius Randle, where were you? Back to planet Earth, I guess. And so, yeah, I don't have a problem with his trash talk. He backed it up just fine and, you know, more power to him. He has to play well against Atlanta, though. But not Atlanta. <laughs> He's on Atlanta. Philadelphia. I expect him to play well even if they lose. Well, now we head out west, and we start in Portland. I thought the Blazers would have no problem with the Nuggets due to the absence of Jamal Murray. Well, they had a bit of a problem. Despite out-of-this-world performances from Damian Lillard, the Nuggets were able to handle the Blazers in six. Since the game, speculations about Dame Dallas' future have arisen. The Celtics, Knicks, and Lakers, more on them later, have been brought about as possible destinations. Jackson, will Lillard be a Blazer by next season's beginning? Uh, no, he's gone. He, he's done in Portland. He's absolutely done. I don't care what his contract says. He's the latest star that's going to demand a trade out of Portland. So uh, they actually just let go of their coach a few hours ago. But um, I think it's time, Portland fans, to say your goodbyes to Damian Lillard because he is done. As far as what team he's going to go to, I really don't know at this point. I keep hearing the Knicks. I keep hearing them, but I don't. I think everyone's kind of lost their minds with the Knicks. I don't think that they're that good. I think he'd be in the similar situation he was in Portland carrying a team. Um, the Celtics make sense, but they only make sense if they keep both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So if they don't keep Jalen Brown or if they have to give up one of those guys in a trade, I don't see how the Celtics do it. And I also don't see why Damian Lillard would really want to go there because he would still be like the fourth best team in the Eastern Conference. And finally, the Lakers. Let's talk about them. They would be the ideal landing spot. They really would be. If they could manage to, obviously, they're not going to trade LeBron James, but um, if they could manage to somehow keep Anthony Davis and then work a little bit of what I like to call cap gymnastics to fit everyone under the cap, which teams manage to just find a way to do it. I don't know how they do it. They just find a way to do it. So that's up to their salary cap specialist. But if you're telling me you can make a big three with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Damian Lillard, I mean, forget about the rest. Forget about the rest. We'll, we'll figure out the depth later because that team is probably going to win the championship. So if I'm Damian Lillard, I would push to go to the Lakers, and hopefully the Lakers would be able to keep AD in a trade. Well, let's take a look at this quote that Damian Lillard put on Instagram. How long should I stay dedicated? How long till opportunity meet preparation? It's a Nipsey Hussle quote. That has me thinking that Lillard doesn't believe he can win in Portland. Regardless of what he said in the past, he's finally coming to that realization that he's not going to win here. It's a very, very small market. So, And I, I really hope he doesn't go to the Lakers. I really don't. I'd love to see him in Boston with being able to keep both of the Jays. It's, a, it's an interesting topic because Damian Lillard has been a big loyalty guy for as long as I can remember. But that being said, you have to wonder... How much longer is he willing to go? So, I I personally think he's going to get dealt, but I have no idea as to where. Because the Knicks don't have the assets to trade for him. I honestly don't see the Lakers 
wanting to give up AD. And if they do trade for Damian Lillard, they'll probably have to give up AD. And as for the Celtics, I mean, can we avoid giving up the Jays? I mean, you're right. He he does he deserves a chance to leave Portland. And Portland fans should not be upset if he demands a trade. That dude has literally done everything for that city. And the best you can give him is, is, a conference is, finals. is one he, conference finals appearance. Is C.J. McCollum, who's a nice player, but he cannot be the second best player. And a washed up Carmelo Anthony. Like, he's done everything for that city. I mean, the dude dropped 50 whatever, a 55 I think in game five, and they still lose. I don't know what else you want him to do. It's clearly not his fault. He deserves a chance to go try to win a title elsewhere. And if Portland could somehow manage to, you know, trade for a star, that'd be great. But I don't think, just because of their market, I don't think they will be able to. So I think Damian Lillard is just, I think he's just out the door, man. It certainly looks that way, doesn't it? It does. But anyways, uh, now let's talk about those Lakers, or my Lakers, or let's just call it the Lakers because they're not really my team. But um, LeBron and AD looked ready for another championship run when they went up 2-1 after Game 3, and it was all downhill from there. AD suffered a groin injury that kept him out or nowhere near 100% for the remainder of the series. Uh, Devin Booker played like a future MVP, especially in Game 6, and Phoenix dispatched L.A., it took 15 tries, but LeBron James has finally lost in the first round of the playoffs. Liam, does this loss impact the Kings' legacy in any negative manner? Well, the loss certainly does not impact it. I mean, 14 straight first-round series victories, that's remarkable. Jordan didn't even do that. And those who know me well know I firmly believe that Jordan is the go. So, that being said, that doesn't have an impact on his legacy. However, what I take issue with is his behavior at the end of game five and game six. I mean, LeBron James walked off the court with over five minutes to go in game five when the Lakers were down badly. You know what that tells me? Poor sport. And he did it again in game six. Walked off the court without shaking the sun's hands after the game. I know he met up with the book after the game, but still. That shows me that he's a very, very sore loser. And I don't think we've seen this side of him in the past because he's never lost in the first round up until now. But that spells sore loser to me. That may just be me. I don't know. In terms of his performance on the court and the loss, no. But his actions after the game is what I have a problem with. Well, I think we kind of disagree here because um, with the last part, because my problem is more with his on-court performance than his off-court. Um, I'll lead off with a quote here. Um, you show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. You know who said that? your quarterback, Cam Newton, after he lost the Super Bowl. So congratulations on being a good loser. You still lost. It doesn't really make – he didn't say, like, the Suns suck or whatever after the game. He left game five because they want to say it was treatment. Yada, yada, yada. I don't really care. I don't know his training resume. I'm not going to comment too much on it. I don't really have that much of a problem. What I do have a problem with is his on-court performance. He was not very good. Does it really impact his legacy? Not that much because I'm not a, I don't think he's the GOAT to begin with. I think it's Jordan just like you do. And I'm not a believer that all of a sudden you do something and you just all, you're still playing and then you just move down the ladder. Like that's not really how it works. Like once you earn, in my opinion, the second greatest player of all time, you're, you're the second greatest player of all time. You're not going to move down to fourth 
to Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson hasn't played. It's not fair to say that. So it doesn't impact his legacy. It kind of just reinforces the belief that there was a better player than LeBron James out there. Um, and the reason why I just have a problem with LeBron in this series, I just think that if he played up to his capabilities, if he played like he did against your Celtics when he was in Cleveland, when he was literally by himself, I think he they, the Lakers would have beaten the Suns in this series. I truly, truly do. If if he had played like that, and, and and he still lost because Anthony Davis wasn't there, I would give him an injury pass. I would say, you know what, LeBron, you played great. You lost this series because you didn't have your second star. You didn't have any other help, which is fine. But he he didn't have a lot of help, but he didn't make things any better. He didn't stop the bleeding. There's no reason to go down 30 points in the second quarter. It just doesn't make any sense. I just think he didn't play a great um, series. The Suns are a good team. I don't want to take anything away from them. And um, congrats, like congrats to the Suns, I guess. But LeBron just, he stunk. I mean, let's just call it what it is. He just did not play well this series. Yeah, he, he didn't play well. And that's the truth of the matter. But does this impact his standing as number two all time? No. Because oh, oh. you can't move down. You, you, you can't move down to someone that already is retired. If you wanted to say that, now, if you want to talk currently, is he still the greatest player in the world? I think we can have a legitimate discussion by the end of this playoffs. But, no, it really doesn't impact his legacy much. Jordan lost in the first round, too. Like, it happens. He did not play a good series, though, and I'm kind of disappointed in that. Especially because I kept tweeting that the Lakers were going to win this series. And then, yes, AD got hurt, but when LeBron, you play like crap, I can't use the injury excuse because LeBron, you didn't do what I thought you would do. Come on, man. Yeah, it's disappointing. Well, the Utah-Memphis series saw Donovan Mitchell and John Morant go toe-to-toe for four games. Despite they did not play game one, Memphis took advantage, winning the game. It was all jazz from there as they gentlemen swept the Grizzlies. The Jazz are back in the second round after two straight first-round exits. Jackson, how far can Mitchell lead Utah? Utah's ceiling is the NBA Finals, only to get crushed by either the Bucs, Nets, or a healthy Sixers squad. That is their ceiling. They cannot win the championship, but if they can get to the Finals, that would be great. Um, They're going to take on the winner of the Clippers and Mavericks in Game 7. Don't ask me how I think that game will go. I have no clue. Um, As far as who would win that matchup, um, well, let's talk about the Mavericks. Um, They're one great player in Luka Doncic and a bunch of shooters, which is a pretty good recipe for success, but they don't have a definitive second star. Porzingis, I'm sorry, he's just not playing well. And the Clippers are supposedly a better team on paper, but when you have Paul George on your team and his perennial or seemingly annual choking in the playoffs – I'm not that confident in the Clippers either. I w- and Utah would be able to beat um, the Suns or Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals. So I would say the ceiling for the Utah Jazz is to win the Western Conference and get molly whopped by someone out east. I disagree. I think they can win the Finals. I think they can win the Finals. I mean, entering the 1920s. Hey, hold, hold on, Before you say that, did KD all of a sudden like leave the Nets? Did no. Giannis hurt? No. Something no. happened? No. All right. I mean, like, because you have the best defender in the league in Gobert. You've got a shooter in Bogdanovich. You've got Mike Conley, who's playing well past his age. Then Donovan Mitchell, an under-the-radar MVP candidate, who
who won't win it but still get votes. That being said, yeah, they have the recipes for success. And you talk about good good role players like Ingles, Clarkson. I mean, they had a defense. They have a really, 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 really good top six that is very difficult to match. I mean, those teams you mentioned, the Nets and Sixers, and maybe Milwaukee could do it. Well, maybe not the Sixers. But that being said, I I have faith in this Utah Jazz team. I really do. I think I think they can go all the way. Will they? That's a discussion for another time. I mean, I mean, it is a weird year because it's entirely possible that we get a Utah Jazz Phoenix Suns Western Conference Finals, which I got to be honest with you, Liam, if that happened instead of the Lakers and Clippers, I mean, I'd be just very salty and disappointed because uh, I think it'll be the all-time snooze fest, even though it could be a great series. But... Um, I mean, I just don't think they have the firepower to do it. I think Embiid in the finals would literally eat Gobert for lunch. Absolutely not. He would destroy him. I, I'm sorry. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Embiid's injury is a torn meniscus. Embiid's what? injury is a torn meniscus. You know who else had a torn meniscus? Barama Sidibe. How did he do for Syracuse this year after suffering that injury? Okay. You're going to compare Barama Sidibe and Joel Embiid. I'll take Joel Embiid on no legs over Barama Sidibe fully healthy. Oh, okay, whatever okay. you say. Okay, but, um, well, that's the thing. If, if Embiid is not healthy, we don't have to discuss this. And with the Nets, like, it's the Nets. I mean, the Nets aren't a team that usually drives to the basket much anyway, so what use is Rudy Gobert? I mean, KD is not a guy who's like LeBron. He's going to power his way to the rim. He's more of a spot-up shooter from 15 feet. Same with James Harden. Same with Kyrie Irving. Like, what impact does Rudy Gobert really have in that series? What are, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, he's the best defensive player in the league. You have him, you have a chance. If he's playing up to his level, I think they have a chance. I think they, have, I, I think they can do it. You may disagree all you want, but I think they can go all the way. Will they? That's a discussion for another time. Well, I think their ceiling is the finals, and we will just agree to disagree. Huh. But our final matchup on the court sees us talk about perhaps the most unique series of the first round. The Los Angeles Clippers look like dead men walking after dropping the first two games of their series with the Mavericks at the Staples Center. However, L.A. took the next two in Texas, then Dallas won on the road in Game 5, followed by a massive carry job by Kawhi Leonard in Game 6, so the Clippers tied it up. It is now 3-3, and it is the first series in NBA history where a road team has won the first six games in a series. Liam, what's causing this? Well, first of all, I'd like to also add, this is the second best-of-seven series across pro sports where the road team has won the first six games of the series. The first one was the 2019 World Series. Yeah, I'm talking about all sports, not the NBA. I'm talking about all sports, not the NBA. I feel like it's happened in hockey before. So well, not like it happens. not not to where I remember. So I feel like I mean, you want to look at you want to look at a definitive cause of this. Yeah. I don't think we can give you one. I just think that these are two really good teams battling it out, and I mean battling it out. I and mean, Luka Doncic and Kawhi Leonard have been on different levels. They've been unbelievable. They've been unbelievable. They've been unbelievable, and that's the truth of the matter. So that being said, I cannot point a definitive. I cannot point out a definitive cause of the road team winning all six games, except for the fact that both teams are really, really good. Both teams will have seasons that are considered disappointments if they lose in the first round. So game seven is going to be a dogfight. I'll tell you who will win it later. Yep. 
Um, so when you sent me the rundown and the question was, what is causing this? I will read you exactly what I said in my notes. I don't know. I really don't know. I just don't know. I have no idea why the home team can't win this series or any game in this series for that matter. I don't know if it'll change in game seven, which logic tells you it should or shouldn't. Dude, I'm, I'm confused as heck. I don't know what the heck to think about this series. Being honest, are both teams great? No, I think both teams are just trying to give the series away, which is frustrating me because it appeared after it was 2-0 that the Clippers were going to roll over and die. And then they just decide after like a bad first six minutes of game three that they were going to be the best team in the league. And then in game five, I'm like, okay, Clippers, now is where you put your foot down. You take a 3-2 lead back to Dallas, and then you close it out there. But no. Dallas, they're like, no, we're going to lay a massive pumpkin on our home floor. And um, then I'm like, okay, Dallas, you're up 3-2. Can you just close it out, please, so we can get this over with? And then... No, they want to give it away. They want to give it back to the Clippers. So I feel like both teams are just trying to give the series away. I don't think they're really both great teams. Um, and I know we have to talk about Game 7 later on with our picks. But for now, just don't ask my thoughts on what is going to happen in Game 7 because I can't tell you. I don't think any right NBA analyst I – don't, I, don't I don't care who you are. You have no idea what is going to happen in Game 7. There's just so many variables on the line here. We really don't. I have no idea. I mean, I know we'll talk about this later, but for now, I'll leave you with this. Come in with no expectations because you don't know what's going to happen. That's what I I'll. Love, I don't root for either of these teams. If I was cheering for one of these teams, I would be beyond pissed. If I'm a Clippers fan, I'd be like, man, I wanted this series over a long time ago. If I'm a Dallas fan, I'm like, man, this series should have been over a week ago. Well,. More on that later. Now we've got a bit of hockey to discuss, and we begin north of the border. The Toronto Maple Leafs won the Canadian division without much of a problem. They faced the Montreal Canadiens in round one, who have the fewest points of any playoff team. They were up 3-1 in the series. They lost games 5 and 6 in overtime, then lost game 7, 3-1. The Leafs have not won a playoff series since 2004, and a team known for its playoff failures may have just had its worst one. Jackson, is it that? Well, another thing you actually left out there was, which I think is even funnier, the Toronto Maple Leafs have not won a Stanley Cup since the NHL was only six teams. It's been 54 years, same as the Rangers uh, streak, but obviously because there's going to be another season next year, they're going to break it, so it'll be 55 at minimum. Is this the worst collapse ever? I mean... I wasn't around in, like, 1974, and I don't know the Leafs' history in complete depth. What I will say, though, is that this is by far the worst I have ever seen from the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, you have a 3-1 series lead against a team you are supposed to crush. The Canadian division was abysmal this season. You had it on a silver platter to at least reach, they're not calling it the conference finals, but for the sake of argument, we're going to call it the conference finals. It was on a silver platter to reach the conference finals this year because all you had to beat was the Montreal Canadiens and now not the Edmonton Oilers with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, but the Winnipeg Jets. That's who you would have had to go through. And you blew a 3-1 series lead. It's, path- it's, it's pathetic. Series. It's pathetic. At least, at least in 2013, when they had that collapse in Game 7, 
They weren't supposed to win that series. They had fought to game seven. They were down 3-1 in that series. They took a three-goal lead. And that was more like, you know, they just played really bad for like 10 minutes. I know I used to laugh all the time about that with the Toronto Maple Leafs. But now because of this, I kind of look differently at that series. And I kind of think, well, they were kind of lucky to be there to begin with. And they just lost to a better team. If I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs, have you, do you know Steve Dangle? No. Oh my God, Steve Dangle. He he's the Leafs fan reaction. Highly check, highly recommend to check out his um, YouTube channel. He was, oh my God, like watch his reaction from Game Seven of 2013 versus the Boston Bruins to his reaction of when they lost to Montreal. That was pathetic. That was a joke. I really, I, if you disagree with me, great, but I don't know how you would. No, this is beyond. This is way past pathetic, in my opinion. I mean, you're talking about a team that you're right was supposed to steamroll the Canadian division and had arguably the. Hold on. I said steamroll them. I was echoing what you were saying. Yeah, and yeah, they were supposed to steamroll them, and it's just pathetic. It's pathetic. I mean, your top competition in Edmonton was swept by Winnipeg, so you didn't have to worry about them, and you go up three one against the. Montreal Canadiens team that, frankly, would I don't think would have made the playoffs in any other division. In fact, they would have placed sixth in the East behind the four playoff teams and the Rangers. So, I mean, I, I'm lost for words here. I really am. I, this, is, this, is beyond, this is beyond bad. I mean, the fact that they can lose in this manner again, I mean, I don't know what it is, but that front office has to figure it out fast because this team is not a team that's supposed to choke, at least on paper. I mean, Joe Puccio said it best. The Buffalo Sabres have won a playoff series more recently than the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, that, and that's saying a lot. Sorry, that's Pooch, but that's saying a lot. Because I don't think – I think the Sabres have only been to the playoffs one other time other than that. The, the Maple Leafs tanked for so many years. They finally seemingly built a core, and they still can't get past the first round. I don't understand how you do – 3-1 against a team you're supposed to be, and you can't get it done. You lose both games in overtime, and then game seven was just – you knew it was going to happen in game seven. Oh, yeah. But anyways, on the other side of things in Canada, Liam, your whole Edmonton is winning the cup thing fell through rather quickly. Uh, despite having two of the best players in hockey, the Oilers were swept by the Winnipeg Jets. Edmonton blew a three-goal uh, third-period lead in game three and also held a third-period lead in game four. And they managed to lose both those games in overtime. Uh, Liam, that McDavid dry sidle punch can't be too thrilled now. Um, how do the or where do the Oilers go from here? I think the biggest lesson from this series is that when you get to the Stanley Cup playoffs, depth scoring is beyond important. Let's take a look at 2019. The St. Louis Blues, Schwartz and Shen did not play up to standard in the Stanley Cup finals because they were being harassed by the perfection line. So. They had depth scores like O'Reilly, hey, Maroon, go off in that series. What? Your, your, your perfection line wasn't exactly that perfect in Game 7. No, you, you, thank you for reminding me, by the way. But yeah, that. that being said, depth scoring helped them win. And I take a look at last year's Bruins-Lightning series. It was all the first line for Boston. It was Marchand, Pasta, and Bergeron carrying the weight. We didn't get that much depth scoring against Tampa. You know what Tampa had? Depth scoring. They won the series. They go on to win the Cup. So that being said... I think this series is proof beyond proof that depth scoring will win you a Stanley Cup, and you can't just rely on stars. 
we are in complete agreement. Um, going back to the NBA, in the NBA, you can get away with not having a lot of depth when you have guys like Kevin Durant or LeBron James or James Harden or anyone around those lines because one player significantly impacts the outcome of an NBA game. Depth still matters. It definitely does, but you need the stars. In the NHL, it's almost the complete opposite. You need, like, the depth players more than you need, like, a McDavid and Dreisaitl. You would rather have 12 – you would rather be, you know, 12 deep than have two of the best players in hockey, whereas in the NBA, you would rather have the two best players in the world and then figure out the remainder of your roster from there. Um, As far as where the Oilers go from here, I mean – yeah, you said it. I mean, you got to get depth. And it starts by finding a way to get out of the James Neal contract, which is counting for $6 million against their cap, which they can definitely use. They have to re-sign Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Tyson Berry. My problem, or the problem with that, though, even though they kind of have to, is that they're probably going to be overpaid. Um, and then they just have to look to acquire pieces on the bottom six and the depth court. They only got about three more years, really. I know the contract is longer with McDavid and uh, Dreisaitl, but they really only have three more years to convince these guys to stay in Edmonton past the contracts they're currently on right now. Because if they can't put pieces around these guys, they're going to leave. They're going to leave, and you're going to be back to the basement. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Before we head east, let's talk about what happened in Montreal-Winnipeg Game 1. Late in the game, Jets star Mike Sh- Mark Shifley had a massive late-game hit after an empty net goal from Montreal's Jake Evans. Evans had to be stretched off the ice, and Shifley received a four-game ban for the hit. Huge loss for Winnipeg, as Shifley led the team with 63 points in the regular season. In Game 2 last night, Carey Price was on top of it. Montreal now up 2-0 in the series after that 1-0 win for Jackson. Is that four-game ban justified? Of course it's justified. Of course it is. If anything, it should have been more games. I mean, I think he got kind of lucky to only have four games there. But I just want to provide something here because I was on Twitter after that hit, and there were a few knuckleheads. I don't know if they ever played hockey or not, but I played hockey. And I will say this. Evans was in a very vulnerable position, and there were people who were like, well, he should have had it. He should have kept his head up. And I'm like, well, he was trying to wrap the puck in the net. You can't really keep your head up there and try to wrap it in the net. The sad reality of everything, which I'm glad that Evans is okay. I've heard from everything that he's going to be fine. He actually didn't even stay in the hospital overnight. So he's, he's seemingly, he's going to be out indefinitely, but you know, usually thankfully with those stretchers, most of the times it's just for precaution rather than it really being something. It's just to make sure that nothing happens on the way to the hospital. Look, Shifley was just frustrated. He was. And if you actually look at the tape, the sad part is, is that he could have gotten back, stated his heart out, and possibly saved the goal. Because he could have gotten his stick in. I'm not saying he would have, but he could have gotten his stick in position to keep the puck out of the net. And if he was going to play the body, he didn't have to hit him in the head. He literally hit him in the head and left his feet. The fact that there were some people who thought that that was a clean hit, I mean, you clearly just don't know the game of hockey. That is a completely dirty hit. 
He absolutely deserved to be suspended. Thank God he at least got a few games because I really thought that the NHL might give him a little slap on the wrist here and give him maybe one game, but they gave him four. Um, so, yeah, the punishment is completely justified. I'm glad that Evans is okay. And for all my hockey players out there, please don't make a hit like that. That's just not smart. Yeah, it, I don't think I could have said any better than my, myself. That is a dirty hit. And he didn't need to go for a set. He could just made a normal queen hit. He could have played the puck as well. So, that being said, the four-game ban is absolutely justified. And Winnipeg is going to miss him dearly over the next three games especially based off of what I saw last night when they got blanked by Carey Price. I cannot, you can't deny the presence of Shifley would have at least helped a little bit. Would they have won the game? I don't know, but... It's embarrassing. I mean, that, that hit is just disgusting. It has no business to be in the game, and I'm glad that he got four games. Yeah. Well, let's it. talk shop in the Eastern Division. The Penguins were dominating the shot totals, entering double overtime in Game 5. However, it was tied 2-2. Less than a minute into OT, Pittsburgh goalie Tristan Jari dumped the puck off, but it went straight to Islanders winger Josh Bailey. He capitalized, the Islanders won, the Penguins went down in Series 3-2. In Game 6, Jari only mustered a 7-9-2 save percentage. That, and for those of you that don't know hockey, anything below 90% or is bad. And the Islanders sent the Pens home with a 5-3 win. Jackson, Tristan Jari was nowhere near his best self late in the series. Is it fair to pin that series on him? It's tough because he had a decent regular season. And Tristan Jari's not exactly an old guy, so I still think he has a future in the NHL. But, yeah, this series is totally on him. I'm sorry it is. I can't – yeah, there were other things wrong with the Penguins. Their defensive structure was not very good in front of him. But, I mean, you, a 792 save percentage in an elimination game after – okay, let's set the stage in game five. You're in double overtime. The puck comes to you. You have three choices. Or actually, you have four choices. You can give the guy, you can give the puck to the open guy on the left. You can try a riskier pass and go to the right to Evgeny Malkin. You can go ring it around the net, which it would have ended up going to Malkin. That would have been the safer pass to Malkin. Or you can do option four, which is literally yeet the puck in the middle of the ice, which is... I don't know what he was looking at. I've watched that replay so many times. I don't know where he was passing the puck. I really don't. He, he literally costed them in game five. And then with, when the Penguins were dominating that game, and then in game six, how do you have a 792 save percentage? I'm sorry, that's not on defense. You have to be able to stop the bleeding a little bit. It was bad. Those goals he was letting in were soft. It is kind of on him. It, it really is. I thought the Penguins came to play. I thought the Penguins played pretty well in this series. I thought they were the better team overall, but they they got goalie. That that's I think the new saying out they there. Got they got goalie. They got goalie. Their goalie stunk, and that's why they lost. Yeah, it's entirely fair to blame blame the series on him. Michael Strasky, who's been on this podcast a number of times, also blames the series on Jari. That's coming from a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. I'm just a regular old Bruins fan. I don't know the Penguins like I know the Bruins, but I do know this: that pass Jari made in Game Five was one of the worst things I've ever seen in the game of hockey. It was terrible. I really don't know what else what else you can say about it. I, I just wish I could, like, look at the tape back and see kind of what he was thinking. Like, was there a guy who was, like, open for a breakaway and he kind of just misplayed it? Like, he, he just made a bad pass. 
there was no one there. I don't know what he was thinking. He had two guys open. He could have done a safe thing and wrap it around the net. He chose option four, yeet the puck in the middle of the ice. I don't, do you have any more thoughts on it? Or No, let's move on. Let's move on. All right, well... In the other Eastern series, after a game one overtime loss, the Boston Bruins gentlemen swept Alex Ovechkin in the Washington Capitals. Now the great eight, as well as longtime former Bruins captain Zdeno Chara, are free agents. Ovechkin turns 36 in September, and Chara turns 44 in March. Liam, not exactly young by hockey standards. Um, what do you see happening with these two uh, future Hall of Famers in the offseason? I see Chara retiring. I mean, he was in a very minimal role with Washington. He was on the third defensive pairing after spending essentially his whole career on the top pairing. So I'd be shocked if he doesn't retire. As for Ovechkin, I think he re-signs with Washington. I mean, he said he's wanted to stay there and finish out his career there. And that's another interesting thing we don't talk about enough. Loyalty in hockey is much more common than that in the NBA or NFL. It's very common. I mean, Bergeron, Marchand spent their entire careers in Boston. Krejci as well. Chara spent 14 years with the Bruins before our front office said, Go find somewhere else. You won't play here. And all power to him. He did what he wanted to do. We knocked him out. Sorry, not sorry. So that being said, I mean, I think Char retires. However, I think Ovechkin stays for at least another few years. Yeah, I think we are both. We're both in complete agreement. I said in my notes, it's really simple. Char is probably going to retire. I don't think he has much left in the tank. Um, and Ovi will probably stay with the Capitals in the offseason. They'll have to find a way to work out a contract, but. I think he's their top priority, so they're going to figure it out. Even though I would love to see Alex Ovechkin in a Florida Panther uniform next year. You um, wish. I know that is completely unrealistic, even though, you know, it's not sunny South Florida. We'll take him. But uh, he's probably happy in Washington. He'll probably stick there for another few years before maybe his final year he'll play for a different team to try to go for, like, another cup. But we're both in complete agreement. I don't think we need to talk about this topic too much because uh, – I think we both see eye to eye with it. Hey, great minds think alike. Well, now we talk about the failures of Jackson's Florida Panthers. They had home ice advantage against the defending champion Tampa Bay Lightning. They lost both of the first two games in Sunrise. Despite wins in games three and five, the early deficit was too much to overcome. The Lightning were bolstered by the returns of Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos, but Jackson, they hadn't played since September. So was this series mainly good Tampa, or was it bad Florida? Well, before I answer the question on my Florida Panthers, I would just like to say that Toronto fans, I understand your pain, sort of, oh, because... No, um, no, 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 no. Don't start. Don't start. Hey, hey, hold on, hold on. My team has not won a playoff series since 1996. Have you collapsed in that fashion, though? No. We have lost in Game 7 double overtime against the New Jersey Devils at home. We lost to once a better team in the Islanders a few years ago. The damn Islanders. It's always the Islanders. Yeah, but have you, bl- have you blown a 3-1 lead? No. No, because we're never good enough to take a 3-1 lead. Exactly. But anyways, um, this was more good Tampa. It really was. Yeah, I'm disappointed that the Panthers couldn't get out of the first round again. But when I, the way I look at it, it was just an unfortunate first-round matchup. They had to play the defending champions in round one. And... The reason why Kucherov wasn't rusty coming into this series, he wasn't rusty. Did he look rusty to you, Liam? No. No, he didn't look rusty at all. Why? Because the dude had been healthy for over a month. 
He was already skating with the Lightning. We knew he was coming back. Stamkos is Stamkos. He's going to be fine once playoff time rolls around. Base. That's that's what I was hearing on reports. He was going to be fine once the playoffs were rolling around. You you take a team that was really really good in Tampa, and then you add Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov to that team. They were a better team than Florida. There was nothing the Panthers could do. Spencer Knight with all of his heroics at the end. It was just great. It was a glimpse of the future, hopefully. But it, they were overmatched. They're not better. I'm sorry. They're counter. They just they just weren't better, man. And it comes from a Panthers fan. And I was there for a few of their games, and they were never the better team. Yeah, you're right. This is a very tough first-round matchup for them. I mean, they finally have their A-team back, per se. They It showed in the regular season they were missing a few guys. And... Credit to Jared Johnston's boys, man. I mean, they showed no signs of rust or lack of chemistry. That chemistry from their Stanley Cup Finals run from last year evidently is still there. So that being said, the series was good Tampa. I can imagine you being a little disappointed in how your team played, but at the same time, you got to understand that this is the Tampa Bay Lightning. This isn't the Mo- You're not playing against the Montreal Canadiens. This is the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, this is a team that we were not, but we were not favored to beat Tampa, even with home ice advantage. Which we only got home ice advantage because they didn't have Kucherov and Stamkos, and they could have played Kucherov in the final two games of the regular season to get the home ice. And I kind of find it funny that Tampa literally punted those games. They just didn't care. They were just like, "Yeah, we're going to beat Florida in the playoffs with with or without home ice. It doesn't matter." And sure enough, they took care of business. I'm glad that they extended the series at least to six games and. Gave me a little bit of false hope that they can come back from a 3-1 deficit. But, yeah, I think Tampa, we'll talk more about it later. later. I think they're a Stanley Cup contender for sure. I think they're going to get there. But um, we'll talk more about that later, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, Tampa is right now playing <coughs> Hurricanes. Bless you. Thank you. Let's restart that. Tampa <laughs> is playing the Carolina Hurricanes right now. They grinded out a victory over the Nashville Predators in six. And like Florida, they were down 2-0 after losing two at home against Tampa. However, they squeaked out a Game 3 overtime victory, setting the stage for a crucial Game 4 this afternoon at 4 o'clock. Liam, Carolina had a better regular season than Florida. Any reason they could make a comeback here? I remember you saying in class that the Carolina Hurricanes had just as good a shot as anybody to win the Stanley Cup. I agree with you as of right now. I think that Carolina can absolutely make this comeback against Tampa. However... They need Sebastian Ajo to go off. That's the key here. He was a shadow of himself in games one and two. He finally stepped into the line in game three. Carolina wins that game. I think they have to get game four later this afternoon. I believe the game is at around four o'clock today. They got to get that game this afternoon. So that being said, if Carolina can pull off a win tonight, all bets are off. They can easily win the series. However, if they go down three to one, I don't see them being able to rally back. When I said that in class about Carolina having as good a chance of anyone, to uh, get to the finals. I didn't really, I don't think realized at the time that Tampa was not really Tampa at that point, that they kind of had their B team out there. But now that they have Kucherov and Stamkos fully healthy, I really don't give them much of a chance in this for the rest of this series. I think what's going to happen is it's going to be very similar to what happened with Florida. They won a desperate game three on the road. And then um, they're going to lose today in some sort of weird fashion that probably 
Florida got blown out in the exact same situation. They lost like 6-1 or 6-2, whatever it was. I think Carolina will lose 5-2 today. And they are going to lose the series in five or six games. So I don't really give them much of a chance. Even though Carolina's a great team. And they're definitely building the right... Like, they're building it the right way. Hopefully they keep Dougie Hamilton in the offseason. But again, this is... This is a different team here in Tampa Bay Lightning. Even when the Lightning aren't playing great, which they didn't play great, especially in game two, they got the best goalie in the world to back them up. Yeah, and I'll give you my prediction for the series a little later on, but I think they can get back, but it's going to be immensely difficult. Immensely difficult. And I think we can both agree that if they don't win today, I mean... Tampa's not blowing a 3-1 lead. They're not the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. Well, the Colorado Avalanche are the top seed out west. And they showed us they made a quick work of St. Louis. The Avalanche's top line of McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen has shown why they are one of the best in the NHL. The Avs are betting favorites to win it all right now. Deservedly so? Uh, absolutely deserved, uh, deservedly so. Um, it's going to be them or Tampa. Or I'll throw in your Bruins for you. Why not? Why not uh, lump the Bruins in that category? Um, that's one of those three teams. I think it was a good win for Vegas last night. They definitely kept their season alive at home, and they're going to have to do it again. Uh, it, do they play tomorrow? I think they play tomorrow, but if not, it would be the next day anyway, which is much needed. But I think it's ultimately delaying the inevitable. Um, Colorado is loaded. That power play. Liam, have you watched that power play? The, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's uh it's pretty good. Just a bit. It's like fifty percent right now. It's 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 like ridiculous. I, I yes, they deserve to be Stanley Cup favorites. I mean, you talked about twenty five percent on the power play is good, and you you leap up to fifty. I'm gonna get the exact number for you. It's it's unbelievable, and I mean, yeah, they not, absolutely not fifty. It's forty four percent. Oh, pardon me. Such a drastic difference. Still really, really, really good. Still really good. That being said, yes, they deserve to be favorites right now. Yes, that top line is one of the best in hockey. Can it match up with the perfection line? Bias aside, probably. But we would Can have they to... match up? They're better than that line. Oh, right? get out of here. Yes, they are. Nathan McKinnon's like one of the three best players in the world. We would, we would have to get to the cup final before we see them, but... No, that bet. No, you cannot tell me your your perfection line in Boston is better than the top line of Colorado. I'm sorry, dude. I know you're biased, but no, no. They're called no. the perfection line for a reason. It's not perfect. It's like it's it's great. It's not okay. Perfect. Okay, we'll need to we may need to table this discussion, but yeah, they deserve to be fan favorites as of right now. But I want to talk about this Vegas team. Yeah, they were down to nothing, but a quick rally late. I think they scored two goals in what 45 seconds. Gave them a 3-2 win in Game 3. Now they're down 2-1. Game 4 tomorrow in Vegas. Jackson, do you think they have a shot of coming back? Do they have a shot? I'm not going to say they have no chance. I'm not going to say that. They have the game. Unlike Carolina, who has to go on the road again today in Tampa, they have to do it twice. Vegas has it at home. I think Vegas could, could win Game 4. I don't think they will. So I don't think they're going to come back. I've never been high on Vegas. I've never thought they're really that great of a team. But I'm not going to completely discount them and say they have absolutely no chance. 
Phil Grubauer is playing great for Colorado. Maybe he all of a sudden reverts back to backup Philip Grubauer instead of Vesna Philip Grubauer. So, um, yeah, I, I give Vegas a chance to come back, but I don't think they're better than the Colorado Avalanche right now. I'll also say this is the matchup we were hoping for. Vegas, oh, yeah. Colorado in the second round. It looked like it was in jeopardy when Minnesota came back from 3-1 to force game seven. Luckily, Vegas won that game. And, you know, games two and three lived up to the hype. Game one was a bit of a blowout, but game three was what we were looking for. Dramatic rally late. It's a series now. Can and Vegas get it done tomorrow perfect. night? Absolutely they can get it done tomorrow night. Uh, however, I think if they lose, they're not coming back from 3-1. So they have to win tomorrow night if they're going to keep their hopes in the series alive. Plus, getting a win on the road is going to be tough. Getting two on the road, throw it out the door. Colorado's just they're a really good team, man. They're really, really good. A lot of good teams in the playoffs this year. Okay, time for the history lesson, boys and girls, where we honor great achievements of the past in the coming week. Five years ago today, June 5th, Novak Djokovic finally won that elusive French Open title, defeating Andy Murray in the championship match. Why was it so elusive? The year before, Djokovic lost to Stan Wawrinka in the championship. Other than that, nine of the ten previous titles had been won by Rafael Nadal. Roger Federer won the other one. The King of Clay has won the past four as well. Jackson, he's got 13 French Opens under his belt. I think he gets a 14th in a few weeks. In a week. Okay. Big tennis guy, I see. I am a huge tennis guy. I have no idea anything about tennis. Uh, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a major tennis guy. I know, like, three players. I, I don't really know much else after that. I know the rules. And I honestly think with the scoring of tennis, I've never understood it. Well, I mean, you, should, fact, you, you know, should have it. You should, you should talk to our tennis beat reporter, Ryan Nelson. I, I think it was, um, have you seen Seinfeld? No. I think the guy, okay, well, for those who are watching or listening, hopefully they watch Seinfeld so they'll understand the reference. I think the guy who scored, who originally came up with the scoring of tennis, he was watching tennis one day and he just got like really lazy. And he's like, ah, 15, ah, 30, I will call 40 now. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. But um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a major tennis. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not a major tennis guy. Yeah, talk to talk to Ryan, our tennis beat reporter. I will one maybe one day. But I am a big hockey guy though. And three years ago, Monday, June seventh, after years of playoff failure, the Washington Capitals finally got the job done. Caps beat the Vegas Golden Knights in their inaugural season four three in Game Five, for four. four one's victory and Alex Ovechkin Co. bought DC their first title in franchise history. 36 years ago, Wednesday, June 9th, after eight straight finals losses to the Celtics, the Lakers finally broke through, beating them in six games in 1985. Took them long enough, right? Kareem Abdul Jabbar, at 38 years young, was named MVP of the series. Nine years ago, Friday, June 11th, the Los Angeles Kings won the Stanley Cup, beating the Devils 6 1 in game six. It was L.A.'s first title in their 45-year history. The Kings won the Stanley Cup again just two years later. Not New York. for 45 years, then going two out of three. Not and they had Gretzky in that time. Yeah. Okay, the show's nearly over. We got a long few you got today. Long episode. We're making up for our absence last week. First off, we're talking the series between the Milwaukee Bucks and Brooklyn Nets. Game one from the Barclays Center is tonight, 7.30, TNT. Jackson, who wins the series? Who wins the series? We are going to go with the Brooklyn Nets in six games. Too much firepower for Brooklyn. 
I've got the Bucks in six. I mean, this team just, as my grandmother's clock goes off for the second time in the show, this team, I just have more faith in them. That may be me, me, me though. I have more faith in them. I mean, Giannis, I mean, they, they just looked like an entirely different team in that Milwaukee, in that, jeez, who'd they play? In that Miami series. As for Brooklyn, I don't think they looked their sharpest. I mean, they let the Celtics win a game. I mean, you let the Celtics win a game. Something's going wrong. So that being said, I've got, the Bucks, I've got the Bucks in six. I think Giannis takes over. However, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Brooklyn wins. I think that's not really fair to say that the Celtics won a game, and that's an indictment on Brooklyn. No, whatever. They got one game. You know what? The big three Miami Heat let the New York Knicks win a game, and they won the title that year. It happens. It happens. You lose games sometimes, Liam. All right? It's fine. Yeah, but this year's Celtics. This year's Celtics. You can give a little bit of credit to your Celtics for winning a game and keeping it a little bit. We're Boston fans. We're, we're, you know what I mean? Yeah, I get it. You're done. <laughs> well, anyway, the other Eastern Conference series sees the Atlanta Hawks challenge the number one seed Philadelphia 76ers. Game one is at 1 o'clock on ABC tomorrow. Liam, any chance the top dog gets upset? Embiid has a torn meniscus. Even if he plays, torn meniscuses are. Extremely difficult to play through. We saw it with Sidibe at Syracuse. That being said, Sidibe was in college. This is the NBA. Syracuse was fine without him. Philadelphia will not be. Give me the Hawks in six. Yeah, nice upset I think Trey Young goes off. Well, I know Embiid has a torn meniscus. In an imaginary world, if he was fully healthy, it would be 76ers in four. No. You don't but, think they get one? No, I wouldn't give the Hawks one game if Embiid was healthy. But he's not. I'm going to say 76ers and 7. Big difference. I just don't think they can win without him. Moving on. Art West, the Phoenix Suns, after knocking off the defending champs, match up with the Denver Nuggets. Game 1 is at 10 o'clock on TNT Monday. Jackson, who wins this series? I guess I'm uh, riding the uh, Suns hype train here after beating the uh, Lakers. Um, although I wouldn't be shocked if they fell flat. Kind of like how the Knicks... Once the expectations rise, teams fall flat. But um, I'm going to say they won't fall flat, and they're going to win this series in seven games. I think uh, Denver is going to miss Jamal Murray in that game seven because they're going to need him. I've also got Phoenix in seven, and I expected Denver to lose in the first round. But what we what we haven't talked about enough is how much the acquisition of Aaron Gordon has helped them out. I know we talked about it the first time you were on the show, but it showed that He's been able to make up for the absence of Jamal Murray. That being said, I've got the Suns in seven. I think this is going to be a dogfight of a series. However, home court will play out. Suns in seven. All right. Our final on-court matchup showcases the only game seven of the first round. Luka and the Mavs versus Kawhi and the Clippers. Like we talked about, the road team has won all six games this series. I really don't understand how. And Liam. Will it somehow stay that way? Will a home team not win this series? In any game in the series, for that matter. My gut is telling... Luka Doncic has never played in a Game 7 in his life. Kawhi Leonard, after one of the worst Game 7 performances in history last year, or disregarding that, has a great Game 7 resume. He had one of the biggest shots in NBA history in Game 7 between Philly and Toronto two years ago. That That is one of the biggest shots in NBA history. So... Putting that embarrassing Game 7 against Denver aside, Kawhi Leonard has a good Game 7 history. And this is the first round, not the second round. Because of Kawhi Leonard, I ultimately think the Clippers 
pull out a Game 7 victory. Then you've got Utah and the Clippers in round two. Give me the Jazz in six in that series. Okay. Do I really have to pick this one? Do I have to pick this game? Do it, man. I have to? Yep. I really, I really don't. I go really, with your gut. Go I with your really gut. Have, I really have no idea. Oh, like, neither do I, but go yeah, with your gut. Yeah, I told you. I told you kind of – I alluded to it earlier. Like, the Mavericks are Luka Doncic and a bunch of shooters. So if they get cold, they're going to lose. But if they get hot, they're going to win. The Clippers are a better team on paper. But they have Kawhi Leonard, who I know you mentioned his heroics, but we're going to not mention last year's – whatever last year was in Game 7 – and uh, they also have a guy by the name of Paul George, and that's supposed to be a good that's supposed to be a good thing, but it's really a bad thing because I mean I've seen Paul George in big games, and that dude just never seems to live up to what people tell me he is. I have no idea what is going to happen. I literally don't, but I have to pick it because I'm on the show. I'm going to say the Clippers will win 111, 106. Okay, and what happens with Clippers Jazz? Uh, the Clippers have never gotten past the second round. Do we keep? Do we do it for the memes? Do we just say the Jazz because of the memes? Sorry. Do we pick the Jazz because of the memes? If the Clippers lose again in the second round. <laughs> I mean, I've got the Jazz anyway. All right, we're going Jazz in seven. We're gonna say for the memes, because. I just want to see the Clippers losing. And I, they still have yet to make a conference finals. I would love to see that continue. That would just oh, be really, really I'm Sure you would. Well, and then, let's... Kawhi, and then Kawhi leaves and goes to Miami. He's... See, that would be what? a power no, play. No, 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 That would be a power play. That would... Maybe, maybe Pat Riley's master plan is to get Kawhi Leonard for free. That's just not That's just not, That's just not. not going to happen. That's just maybe, not going to happen. Maybe that's the plan. I don't know. That's just not going to happen. All right. Now we transition back to the oh, ice. Hold on, hold on. Stephen A. Smith said that if he does leave the Clippers, he's going to the, he's going to the Heat. And say what you want about Stephen A. Smith, but that dude is connected. Stephen A. Smith also said that the New York Knicks were going to dispatch the Atlanta Hawks. How'd that turn well, out? That's serious predictions, not telling Oh, come on. And he's, a, he's also a Knicks fan. And he correctly said that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant were going to New York, but he didn't specify the Knicks. Oh, my God. You literally said they're going to New York, but it's probably going to be Brooklyn. Okay. So I trust that. Okay. Day. Now we transition back to the ice. After their epic comeback, Montreal has a 2-0 lead over Winnipeg. They won the first two games on the road. The series shifts to the Canadians' home ice now. Jackson, how will this series finish? Uh, I don't think Mark Scheifele is going to play again this series. I don't. Uh, the... Um, earliest he'd be able to come back for is game six because they gave a four game suspension after game one so that's two three four five um he will not be playing and i'm gonna say canadians i can't believe i'm gonna say this because the canadians really are not that good of a team they they really aren't the canadians are gonna sweep the winnipeg jets and carrie price he's playing phenomenal right now and he's gonna continue that excellent postseason and we're gonna get into how I'm gonna pick the Avs Knights, but that could be more interesting um, than I really make it than it really would seem to be on paper. I agree with you. I think the Canadians are gonna sweep the Winnipeg Jets too, and Mark Shifley's suspension will carry on into next season. Oh, that'd be funny. Oh, it'd be hilarious. So it'd be, uh, yeah, opening, I mean, uh, opening night, he'll be suspended. Wouldn't wouldn't that be something? So 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, this Canadiens team wasn't very good in the regular season. However, they benefited from playing the Choker Leafs in the first round. And they've let that momentum carry on into the second round. And as much as it pains me to say this, being the Bruins fan that I am, I think the Canadiens sweep the Jets. Well, speaking of the Bruins, out east, your team holds a 2-1 lead over the Islanders right now. Liam, I think I already know the answer to this question, but will they somehow, will they, not somehow, will they keep the lead? Somehow, really? So I think they win game. My, my bad. I, I read, I was looking at it wrong. I know oh, the it, Bruins are really up 2-1. I think, I think they win game four tonight, go up 3-1 the series. I actually think we lose on home ice to the Islanders in game five. But then we come back into Uniondale. Just bury the hatchet, send him home in Game Six. Islanders go 0 and 3 on home ice in the regular in the series. Give me the Bruins in Six to match up with either Carolina or Tampa. And one other thing, a Bruins Habs Stanley Cup Finals, that's not off the table. Oh my God! As much as I think that Canadians suck, if they're gonna go to the Stanley Cup Finals, the only team I would want them to play is the Bruins. If they play the Lightning or the Carolina Hurricanes or the New York Islanders, I think I'd be bored out of my mind. But if they played the Boston Bruins, that would be classic. Yeah. That, could, that series could be four games, and I think it would be, like, the greatest series ever. That's the – that's – for those um, non-hockey fans out there, that's, like, the equivalent of Michigan-Ohio State meeting in the national championship game. That's kind of what it's like. If those two teams were to play, it would be ridiculous. It's the biggest rivalry in hockey – I think the networks are really hoping for that to happen. I think that would be so, so cool. Yeah, and this, this season is unique because any other year, uh, Bruins-Canadians wouldn't happen. Uh, Bruins-Canadians wouldn't happen because they're in the yeah. same division. So the latest they would meet would be the conference finals. And they so probably if, wouldn't. So if this somehow happens, the media is going to go nuts. But yep. anyway, who you, got in the, who you got in the Bruins series? Uh, very short and simple. Bruins and six. Yeah, yeah. I don't really like the Bruins, but I I don't like the Islanders either. So I have no emotion in that series. It's more like I don't want to see either team win, but someone does have to win. So I'm gonna give my very very insightful analysis and say the Bruins are gonna win because they're better than the Islanders. Well, entering play this afternoon, the defending champion Tampa Bay Lightning hold a two to one lead over the Carolina Hurricanes. Jackson, will Tampa take the next step towards a back-to-back? Uh, yes, Tampa is going to win today 5-2. to two. It's going to be very similar to how it was like against Florida, and then they're going to, instead of going back to Tampa for a game six, they're going to close it out in overtime. They're going to crush the souls of Carolina Hurricanes fans, and they're going to win game five in overtime, and they're going to go to the Stanley Cup Finals. All right, you ready for my hot take of the show? Uh, please don't tell me you think the Carolina Hurricanes. I've got Carolina winning game four tonight. I think, Tam- I think Tampa goes into Carolina and wins game five. However, Carolina will then win game six. And then, so it'll be the same trajectory. It's going to be the- like Clippers Mavericks, man. Yeah, I exactly. Mean- it's going to be like Clippers Mavericks. So we said LA's going to win game seven at home. Carolina will also win game seven at home. And the Bruins will get matched up with the Carolina Hurricanes, who they have beat in each of the last two postseasons. Car- Carolina in seven. There's the hot take of the show. Uh, congratulations. You, uh, I said uh, Lakers in five, but uh, I think I'm going to have to remember you thinking that the Carolina Hurricanes oh, are going to win seven games. You really think Carolina is going to beat Tampa? I, I I don't see it. You may I not. 
I did see it like a few months ago. I told you in JNL that this Carolina team is really good, but that was before knowing what was exactly going to happen with Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov and Andre Vasilevsky. I know he's great, but now he's playing out of his mind. Like, respect, really respect the, the hot take. Respect the hot take. Teams. Respect the hot take, my friend. They're going to win three, all three games in Tampa? Yeah. Like, if you're going to give that hot take, I would have much – I'd be much more reasonable if you said Carolina would win tonight or today, and then Carolina would win game five at home, lose game six on the road, and then win game seven at home. Because to think a team is going to go into Tampa and beat them three times is – I, I I mean what Columbus did it once. I mean they did they did two times because they swept the Lightning. But now uh, uh, I'm not a I'm not well, a betting man, but I can't imagine the odds are too good on that one. But if I'm right, if I'm right, how will you react? How will I react? How will you react? I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and lose sleep over it. I'm not exactly a Hurricanes or Lightning fan, but uh, I'll give you uh, props for it. Can't but, wait! Uh, I can't I can't wait to get them. You're not going to be right, but uh, I guess that's that's your hot take. I'm not giving any hot takes away today. Not for me. No, sir. All right. That's your that's your prerogative. Yep. And uh, finally, out west, the others, the final series in the NHL, or not really, eh, kind of the final series in the NHL we're going to talk about. We're talking about today. Final series we're going to talk about today, uh, Colorado holds a 2-1 lead over Vegas. Like we said, the Avalanche are currently being favored. Uh, for the Stanley Cup. Liam, will those betters be satisfied at the series end? At this series end, yes. I've got the Avalanche winning in six. I think Colorado wins tomorrow. I actually think Vegas steals game five on the road, but then Colorado slams the door in Las Vegas in game six. I've got the Avalanche in six. Do you want to talk about down the line whether or not they win? That's a discussion for a future week. Well, maybe we can talk about it. First of all, did we work on, like, the notes together? Because I feel like you copy and pasted my notes, or I copy and pasted your notes, because I have Avalanche winning game four, then they lay a dud in game five, like you said, and then they close out in six. Stop um, cop- Stop copying me, Holzer. No, I think you're copying me. I'm the hockey player. I'm the one that, I'm the one that spoke first on this topic. I'm the, I'm the one that spoke first on this topic. I'm the hockey player here. I'm the one who's supposed to have more knowledge. I'm the one who gives people the very insightful analysis that the Bruins are going to win the series because of the better than the Islanders. So I'm going to give huh. why the Avalanche are going to beat the Vegas Golden Knights. Why? Because they're better than the Vegas Golden Knights. I knew that, that was coming. I knew that was coming. That is exactly why they're going to win this series. Now, what will happen? I think we, I think in that terms, we have it as Avalanche and Canadians. You got Avalanche, uh, Canadians, and you got Bruins. You have Bruins Lightning. I have Bruins Hurricanes. I have Bruins Lightning and Avalanche Canadians. What do you see happening there? Well, we're going to knock out the Hurricanes for the third straight year, go back to the cup final, and then Bruins the cup. Montreal is going to upset Colorado. They're going to – because – it may, may or may not be impacted by the refs because a Bruins Canadian thing would, would bring in a lot of moolah. It'd bring in a lot of moolah. Good. And then. I'm gonna get Canada excited. I think the Bruins win the cup. I. We're, we still have a bitter taste in our mouths from what happened two years ago. I mean, I stayed away from saying it when we did the preview with Jared because I didn't want to sound too biased. But now that Edmonton's gone, I have free reign. The Bruins are winning the cup. Okay. Um. 
I'm going to say, well, I have Bruins Lightning. I think the Bruins are going to put up a good fight against Tampa. I really they've, think knocked, they they've knocked us out two of the past three years. I well, there was one. Didn't you? You beat him one year, right? We beat him in. We beat him in 2011 in the conference finals. Yeah, that's too long ago. You, the yeah. only guy on there was like Stampos. Um, Marty San Louis, that ring a bell? No, I'm saying right now, currently. Oh, right now, currently, yeah. But Marty San Louis, player on the Lightning roster, I think it was Steven Stamkos. I know that sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah, I mean, if there's someone else on there. Congratulations, you stumped me, but I don't think there's anyone else. Um, man, that would be a tough series, Bruins and the Lightning. I would probably pick the Lightning, though. Sorry. I would pick the Lightning in a very competitive six-game series. I don't think it goes seven. I think it ends in Tampa you, in six. It would be in Boston for game six. Would they? Yeah. Was Boston the two or the three? We were the three in oh, the East. So it would be- so it ends in Boston. Uh, yeah, game six would be in Boston. You really think we're going to lose our season on our home ice like we did two it's years ago? Times four. It's not like a hot take to say it will end on, on your home ice. Um, and then I have Avalanche and Canadians. You full-on are picking the Canadians to go to the Cup here. Um, I mean, if Carey Price stands on his head, I mean, we, we've seen this happen before with the eight-seeded LA Kings in 2012. I mean, Jonathan Quick. If Jonathan Quick, if you if you get a hot goalie, I mean anything is anything is basically all bets impossible. are off. All bets are off at that point. Having said that, it's it's pretty hard to bet against the Avalanche and against the Canadians in that series. I think the clock would strike midnight on Montreal, even though it could be interesting if Carey Price was in God mode. Um, Avalanche in five, and then we have Avalanche. I have Avalanche Lightning final. I'm going to say Tampa in seven. Even though it's really hard to go back-to-back? I know it's really hard to go back-to-back, and I think the last team to do it was the Detroit Red Wings in 98. No, the Penguins went back-to-back four years ago. Oh, yeah, they did. Never mind. Well, before the Penguins, it was them. I mean, the Chiefs couldn't do it. The Patriots, even the, the, even the Blackhawks, who won like three cups in five years, never won back to back. The Giants won three World Series in five years. They never went back to back. Never went back to back. That was really weird. You could argue the Red Sox got robbed of a back to back because of the science stealing scandal, but we'll put that aside. I people know how I feel about that. Yeah, I don't know if they were better than Houston anyway. But uh, yeah, I mean, going back to back is really hard, and that's what's keeping me away from saying Tampa will win a dollar. That's fair. And speaking of your Red Sox, you guys are... Uh, yeah, we're playing, the, we're playing the Yankees right now. Beat, beat them up last night, 5-2. What? You guys are overachieving this season. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, tonight's pitching matchup is uh, Eddie Rodriguez versus J-Mo, Jameson Tyon. So, reach throwing out starters with an ERA over five. It's going to be a fun game. Well, uh, you know what tonight is? What's tonight? It's Happy Jacob DeGrom Day. Oh, is it now? Grom's on the mound tonight on MLB Network, 10-10. Uh, remember when the Red Sox beat DeGrom? one nothing. Yeah, it's still fun. Oh, it was one nothing. DeGrom was horrible. DeGrom this season, 
has a .71 ERA and he's batting like 450. That's that's. Uh, I know I know we didn't talk any baseball, and that's probably a good thing because baseball's kind of on the back burner with all these playoffs going on. But uh, what he's doing is nuts. How, how is Jacob Degrom not like? I'm seeing so many polls out there saying Ronald Acuna is somehow the MVP right now, and I'm like. Jacob Degrom has a .71 ERA and is batting .450. Yeah, the MVP is Jacob Degrom. Granted, Ronald Acuna has been playing really well, but at the same time, he doesn't have Jacob a .71 ERA and he's not batting .450. It's not. I'm not joking. This dude is batting like .450. He's as a pitcher too. He's a pitcher. <laughs> what is this? I don't know. Are we living in the Matrix or something? He's got four earned runs. In 51 innings, his his strikeout to ball ratio 82 to seven, which is unbelievable. 11.7 to one. So um, yeah, we have him on the mound tonight. Hopefully, we get runs because uh, I think the Padres have Musgrove going. So Are you threw a no no. What? you say well must go through a no-no who knows yeah i guess it could be a no-no going into the ninth inning with both pitchers oh yeah wouldn't that DeGrom be something is getting Degrom is getting uh i think a full start tonight they're not gonna pull him after like six innings but anyway um that's all we have for today and i'm jackson holzer and thank you for tuning in i'm Liam griffin i'd like to thank jackson for being my guest today and thank you for tuning in be sure to give this podcast a follow on Instagram at Full Court Press Podcast and on Twitter at Full CP Podcast. That's F U L L C P Podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please DM the podcast or contact me. As always, please, please, please stay healthy, wash your hands, be safe, and be positive. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for sticking with us on this rather long episode, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>